what would you guys do if I came to you and I was like, hey, I've got a job for you. I want you to cure cancer. Like, what would your response be? Would you be like, yeah, I got that? No, you'd be like, that's impossible. Or if I said, hey, I want you to solve the problem of peace in the Middle East. If I just threw that on your lap, an 11th grade student, a 12th grade student, would you be like, absolutely, I got it covered? I, I'm, a, I'm an adult, and I would have no idea where to start. If someone came to you and was like, I, I'm going to put you in charge of solving the answer to why is it that Kanye can charge $120 for white t-shirts, would you be able to solve that riddle? I know I wouldn't. These are impossible problems. Like, I don't have the skills, I don't have the resources, I don't have the strength to solve these problems. And those are all silly examples, but honestly, guys, life is constantly throwing these challenges at us. Do you ever feel overwhelmed? Yeah, I feel overwhelmed all the time. It's the end of school for you guys. How many of you guys are just overwhelmed by the amount of work piled up on your plate right now? Yeah, I remember. It's terrible. Here's the reality, though. Every single one of you guys, you were made for something more than just the normal aspects of this life. Every single one of you guys in this room, seriously, every single one of you has a calling and a purpose by God. And that can be a little frightening because to think about, you know, life just getting through life as normal can be terrifying. Like the thought of just like, I've got to get a job, or I've got to get married, or I've got to have some career, or I might have kids one day and people to take care of. I might have student loans I have to pay off. I might have a college I need to figure out. All of these things can be daunting, but then when God shows up in our life and says, hey, I've got a special mission for you, that can be honestly scary because we don't know how to handle it. God shows up in our life, and he says, I have a purpose for you, and when that happens, the, the question is, are you ready for that or are you going to back down? Today, we're going to look at Gideon. Gideon is a guy who's put into an impossible situation. You see, I'm going to give you guys the background to the story. Israel is currently in a time where they are in sin. They're in that sin cycle. So what happens is these people called the Midianites attack them and they oppress them for seven years. Imagine it like ISIS. Like imagine you are living in your hometown. Everything's great. You're worshiping your God, going to your school, going to your church, and then ISIS shows up and they just start attacking. They start going into your schools and killing people, going into your churches and killing people, just terrorizing everyone. Uh, it said that they, they, it got so bad that Israel had to hide in the mountains and in caves. So just imagine your families being driven into the mountains and driven into caves. You can't live in your town anymore. These people, the Midianites, would destroy their food and crop supplies. They would go to the farms and just light them on fire. They'd kill all the animals and the livestock. They were like a plague of locusts just coming in and destroying everything. So like normal, Israel cries out for help. They say, help us, Lord. And what does God say? Well, God responds and he says, I rescued you from Egypt and I gave you land and I told you don't worship idols, but you didn't listen. And so now you're getting what you deserve. It's a dark time to be in. 
And so this young man named Gideon lived in this mess and he's hiding out from the enemy and he's just trying to make food. He's trying to make wheat. He's trying to make food for himself. And what he's doing is he's making this wheat in a wine press. And if you know what a wine press is, that's not where you make wheat. That's where you make wine. The reason he's doing it is because he's trying to hide from the enemy. But Gideon is about to have an encounter with God. So let's turn to verse 11 and we're going to see what happens. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Aphra, which belonged to Joash, the Abi Ezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. So picture the scene. This guy Gideon, he's so scared of his enemies. He's so scared of just life around him that he is making grain in this wine press. And it's because it's out of fear. He's not able to make his food out in the open. He has to hide. And then he notices that someone is staring at him. Now, have you ever had one of those instances where someone's staring at you? I was at the Bible college recently, and I was sitting by the window in the coffee shop, and this one Bible college student like walked up to me, and he was just like, like just staring at me. And I look over, and I'm like, Hey, he's like, oh, I'm not looking at you. I'm trying to freak out my friend who's outside the window. It was just really creepy, though. It really freaked me out. That's what Gideon's going through. It's it's a bummer for this guy because he's trying to hide, and then he looks, and there's this angel staring at him. This angel is not just any normal angel. It's the angel of the Lord. And many Bible scholars believe that the angel of the Lord was actually Jesus, Uh, taking the form of an angel and appearing. So whenever you see in the Old Testament, it says the angel of the Lord appeared. That word angel, it means messenger. And so it's this idea that possibly it was either a very high-ranking angel, someone who reported directly to Yahweh, or it was Jesus himself before he took form as a man. So now Gideon's even more scared. He's freaked out. Like, who is this angel? He's freaked out. He's scared. And what does the angel say to him? The angel's like, hey, dude. You're so brave and strong. That's what he says. You're, you're a mighty man of valor. That's the identity that he gives him. And it's, it's hilarious. He's, he is not a mighty man of valor. He's a guy who's freaked out. He's hiding in this wine press. But that shows me something encouraging. As I was just meditating on this passage, this is the word that the Lord gave me. You see, God sees us not as who we are, but who we are made to be. God looked at Gideon, and who is Gideon? Is Gideon a mighty man of valor? No, like in his flesh, Gideon is a man who is hiding. He's a man who is fearful. He's a man who has nothing. But God looks at him, and he sees the potential. He doesn't see the scared, freaked out Gideon. He sees who Gideon could be if God got a hold of Gideon. He sees the potential of who Gideon could live up to be. And and you know what? That is so encouraging for me as a Christ follower, because there's so many days where I don't live up to the standard. There's so many days where I am not a good Christian. There's so many days where I do not have any potential in me. And yet God looks at me and he doesn't see me in those moments of failure. He doesn't let my failures define me. God looks at me. God looks at you and he sees your potential. He sees you on your possible best day. He sees you with the potential that you have to do great things for God. He sees you as who he wants you to be and who you will become if you allow yourself to be taken a hold of by Christ. I thought this was a really cool example of this. So this is a picture taken by Aaron Frizee. He's one of our volunteers. This is when he was in Uganda. So this is a Facebook post that Aaron posted, and I'm going to read it. 
It says, this is Moses. His name means miracle. He was found stuck in the bottom of an outhouse toilet. That is not a fun place to be. Have, like, oh my gosh. Like, anytime I go to a music festival or anything and there's those outhouse toilets, it's like, I don't even want to be in this place. This guy was in the bottom of one. Despite his mom leaving him there in an attempt to abort him, he was found a while later when people heard him crying. He is now taken care of by an orphanage in Uganda, which has three different homes that house about 20 kids from babies to teenagers. And we had the opportunity to spend the morning with these amazing kids. Such a sweet day. I think this is so great because we live in a culture that throws people away. We live in a culture that looks at you and says, if you don't look the right way, if you don't dress the right way, if you don't have the athletic ability, if you're not charming, if you don't have a good haircut, if you don't look like the celebrities, if you don't have musical ability, then you're not worth anything. And yet God looked at this kid who the world said, you're not worth anything except being left in the bottom of an outhouse toilet. God looked at this kid and saw his potential. And now he's in a loving family. And I have no doubt that this kid will grow up to serve the Lord because of his testimony. Do you guys know anybody, like, do you guys have any friends or acquaintances who when they, they post on Instagram, they only get like, one or two likes? You know anybody like that? Yeah, I know people like that. And it's crazy because, you know, popular people sometimes will see that and they won't even, like, be nice enough to give that person a like there's people where it's kind of like you just kind of scroll past. You know, you look at their post and the photography's not good. You know, it's, they're not saying anything interesting. It's a really awkward close-up selfie of their face and you can see all their flaws and stuff. So you just scroll by. But you know what? That person that you look at and they've got one or two likes per post and maybe 10 followers, God can change the world with that person. Do you realize that? If that person allowed God to get a hold of their heart God could use that person to lead so many people to Christ and change the world around them, way more than someone who had a million followers and a million likes who is not given to Christ. See, those values don't mean anything to the Lord. Popularity on an earthly scale, you can have it, but if you're not using your popularity for the Lord, it's nothing. On the other side, if you're unpopular in the world's sake, take heart because if you follow Christ, it doesn't matter if you're unpopular because God can use you for great things. Following Jesus, guys, it's not about your strength. It's about his ability to work in and through your weakness. Now we're gonna go to the next verse, 13, and we're gonna see how this story continues to unfold. Oh my Lord. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So Gideon, he's kind of dumb. (laughs) Because the angel comes to him and the angel's like, Hey, I've got this plan for you from the Lord. And Gideon's response is doubt. He says something dumb. He's like, Lord, if you're really with us, then why have all these bad things happened? He doubts. He goes into this doubtful mode. I understand the concept of speaking in a ridiculous way because I say a lot of dumb things. One time I was at Disneyland, and uh, I was with my wife, and so I really embarrassed her in this moment. But I do that a lot because I, I, I say things without thinking sometimes. I saw this lady, this like, middle-aged, probably 50-year-old woman working at the churro stand, 
at Disneyland. And so I was just trying to be friendly. I swear, there was not an ounce of sarcasm in my body when I said this. But I walked up to her, and I was like, yeah, making churros at Disneyland. So was that like your dream job? And she just looked at me like, <laughs> like, are you serious? Like, I felt like she was going to be like, I went to Harvard. This wasn't supposed to be my life. It, I didn't mean it in that way. It was so dumb. I was just trying to be friendly. I was like, I was thinking, Disneyland, happiest place on earth. For her, she's like, every day I hand out churros to sweaty strangers. This is not what I hope for. And that's what Gideon's at. He's at a place where he's like, where are you, Lord? What's going on? Have you ever been in that place where God shows up in your life and he's trying to do something and you're like, you're thinking back to some trial you went through and you're like, where were you, God, during that? Like, God, what were you doing during this part of my life? Why weren't you here? Why didn't you act? Why aren't you doing anything? And God's like, no, I'm here. Like, I showed up. I'm right in front of you. Just listen to what I'm saying. Let's go to the next verse, verse 14. Go in this might of yours. You shall save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So you see this pattern this pattern of weakness, Gideon is this doubtful dude. God shows up and he tries to reassure him just like he did to Gideon's forefathers before him, like Joshua and Moses. He's like, Gideon, be strong and courageous. I'm with you. You got this, bro. That's what he's saying. Bro, you got this. I'll be with you. Gideon's just this guy who's just, he's just like, uh, uh, I can't. I like, here's what he says. He says, no, God, you don't understand. I am from the weakest family in Israel. And in that weakest family, I am the weakest link. Have you ever felt that way at school? Have you ever felt like you were just the weakest link in your group of friends? Maybe you were literally the weakest. You're with everyone and they're stronger than you. Or maybe you weren't as athletically gifted as other people. Maybe you were um, not as good looking or attractive as other people in your view. I mean, honestly, I felt this way a lot at school. Um, we just had prom for a lot of you guys. So I'm going to show you. At Calvary, at my school, we didn't do proms. We did spring formals. So this is a picture of, like, a lot of my friends at spring formal. And back in, like, 2005, there's Caleb, uh, Trevor Daigle. I think those are the only guys you would know. Oh, yeah, I just said Caleb. Yeah, I was like, there's Caleb and Trevor. You're like, boy, no, there's Caleb. It's okay. So, um, you know, I'm not in this picture And honestly, I wasn't in a lot of pictures. Um, And I don't know if this would make sense to any of you, but that always bummed me out. And I couldn't ever figure out why I was never in pictures. I was like, is it because I'm not photogenic? Or is it just because I'm never at the right place at the right time? Uh, But the truth was, I didn't feel a part of the group ever in school. Um, You can go to the next slide. I looked at all these dudes, and you know, you might look at them and think they look like losers nowadays, but you know, their haircuts are very outdated. But back then, these guys were so cool. And I remember looking at these guys, and I was like, they're so cool. And you can go to the next slide. Um, so there's me and my friend Ruth, uh, and that's just totally like a pity picture. Like she happened to be standing by me, and someone was like, oh, you guys should stand next to one another. Like we weren't dating. She wasn't my date. Like somehow she just ended up in this picture with me. Um, but I was just a guy, like I didn't know what I was doing in high school, and I had this long hair, and I just 
didn't know how to dress myself, and I, I literally dressed like I was from the 1960s half the time, and I just felt so out of place constantly. I, I never felt like I was ever a part of the group. I felt like I was this weird, left-out loner. You can go to the next slide and get that off the screen. Um, my question for you is, you know, do you relate to that at all? Like, do you ever struggle with doubts and insecurities? I know I definitely did struggle with those. Doubts and insecurities constantly in my life, trying to figure out who I was and what God wanted me to do. And that plays into when God comes to you and he has something for you. And I think for every single one of you, I think God has spoken to you at different points in your life. He's had things for you. Here's the problem, though. When God asks you to do something, oftentimes there is fear. Just like Gideon, there's fear. But listen, God didn't look at Gideon as a failure because of his fear. He didn't look at Gideon and say, you're a failure because you questioned me. You're a failure because you doubted. No, listen, each time Gideon was afraid and insecure, God provided for him. Isn't that interesting? God could have said easily, Gideon, you failed. You doubted. You didn't pass the test. I'm going to go find someone braver than you. But actually, he encourages Gideon to obey in spite of his fear. God is so patient. Jesus will constantly overcome your weakness. Here's the reality. Every single one of you guys will have weakness in your life. Whether it is a lack of ability, whether it's doubts, whether it's insecurities, I don't know what your weakness is right now. Maybe it's a temptation to a certain sin that you keep getting sucked into. Maybe it is just depression. Maybe it's anxiety. I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know what's going on in your life. Some of you guys might be going through gnarly stuff at home with your families. Here's the reality. Jesus is so excited to help you and overcome your weakness. He is so stoked to come to you and say, I have got something great for us to do together. And you're like, but God, I can't. I'm too weak. I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. And God says, I will overcome that weakness. So Gideon has a calling, but he also has doubts. And one of his biggest doubts is, God, why would you choose me? I am the weakest. I am the most pathetic. God, why would you? There are so many better people you could pick why would you choose me? Maybe some of you guys feel that today because you know you have a calling on your life. And listen, this is not just for a special few of you who, you know, maybe a few of you are called to be pastors one day or worship leaders. You need to know if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, if you profess Christ, you have a calling on your life. No matter what job you have in the future or what college you go to, having a calling doesn't mean you're going to work at a church. Having a calling means for every Christian, God has something that he wants you to do with your life. Some of you guys, you don't know what that is yet, but some of you guys, you've started to hear that voice. Maybe you've never told anyone this. Maybe you've never gone to anyone and been like, hey, let's talk. I, I feel like God's given me this calling. Can you pray for me? Some of you guys have been given this calling, but you are so unsure of yourself that it's just bottled up. And you're like, God didn't really say that. That's, that's weird. That can't be. That's where Gideon's at. So let's see what he says. Verse 17. If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before me. I will wait until you come back. So Gideon... He seems to be blowing it. Like, he really seems to be blowing it because he keeps getting reassured. Like, think about it. Even after he was cowardly, what did God say? He says, you're a mighty man of valor. And then after that, what does God say? He says, go in this might of yours. 
He says, go in this might and do great things for me. And that's not where Gideon's at. He's not mighty. But God keeps saying, I will be with you. And then Gideon responds with, well, I need a sign. It's, he's, he's, he's about to miss a great opportunity. I was at a thrift store, and I saw this Boba Fett helmet for 10 bucks. 10 bucks for like a full, like goes over your head with the visor. 10 bucks for a Boba Fett helmet. How many of you guys know who Boba Fett is? Yeah? Okay. So yeah, so this is great. Like this is a real deal. You can sell this on eBay for like 200 bucks, right? And you know what I did? I looked at it and I was like, I really want that. And then I checked my bank account and I had like $5 in my bank account. And I was like, I could just pull a couple dollars out of savings to buy this helmet. But I was like, mm, nah, not worth it. I'll just come back a few days later after I've been paid. So I got paid and I showed up at the store and it was gone. And I was like, oh, I missed this great opportunity. I think that's where Gideon is kind of on the verge of being. He's at the verge of making this huge mistake. But here's, here's what it's amazing. God puts up with his doubt. God looks at Gideon and he's like, I'm, your doubt doesn't throw me off, Gideon. I still love you and I've still got a plan for you. Guys, God is committed to his purposes. Guys, God is committed. Listen, listen. From Genesis to Revelation, God is committed to his purposes. Think about all of the times in the Old Testament and the New Testament that Satan tried to throw curveballs at God. He tried to enslave the children of Israel. He tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. Every single time, that's just two examples out of like a million, God is not surprised. He's not thrown off. God says, I am committed to my purposes. Isn't that pattern enough to make us realize that in our own life, God is committed to his purposes? That the things that God wants to do in your life, the things that he tells you, the things that he fills your heart, the dreams he gives you, God is committed to those plans, regardless of how weak you feel, regardless of how unequipped you feel to carry out those purposes. God says, I just need you to show up. So here's what happens. Gideon makes an offering, and the angel consumes it with a fireball. And Gideon completely flips out. He's like, oh my gosh, this is a real angel. So we'll go to the next slide and we'll see what he says. Verse 22. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Peace be with you. Fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it The Lord is Peace. To this day, it is still in Afra of the Abai Israelites. So Gideon completely freaks out when the angel consumes the offering with fire. He thinks he's going to die because there's this long standing belief that seeing the face of God equals death. It's kind of like the sun. You know how you can't stare at the sun or you'll go blind, basically? And if you get too close to the sun, you'll get burnt up. The Jews had this reverence for God. And it goes back to Moses when he saw God on the mountain. They thought of God kind of like the sun in the sense of if you get too close or if you look right at him, you will completely be destroyed. But God says, no, listen, I didn't come to hurt you. I came to help you. Listen, do you assume that when God shows up in your life in a tough time that he's come to punish you when actually he's there to help? Because a lot of times punishment is help. A lot of times that shot that goes in your arm hurts, but it gives you the medicine that you need. And God isn't always there to punish us. Sometimes he's just there to direct us. 
Gideon was surprised that God was who he said he was. Sometimes I'm shocked when God does what he said he would do. Are you ever that way? Like when God gives you a vision, he gives you a dream, he gives you something in your life, and then he does it, and you're like, I didn't expect that. And God's like, well, no, I'm God, and I said I was going to do it. Why are you so surprised? Why are we that way? For me, at least, it's often weak faith. He is here for us so much that when we are weak, he is strong. God is committed to his plans, and he wants us involved. Not to say, hey, you do this. Listen, God is not looking at you in your life and saying, hey, I've got this big thing for you to do. Go do it. No, God is saying, I am doing this, and I want you to do it with me. Isn't that such a difference? God saying, hey, you do this, or God saying, hey, I'm doing this. Come do it with me. That takes such a weight off of my shoulders. Listen, guys, don't feel as if you failed when God has called you to do something and you are afraid because he will provide a way for you to make it through your fears and succeed. Being afraid is okay, but giving in to the fear and being disobedient is not okay. God will call us to do hard things in our lifetime, but just like Gideon, he will be ever-present and strong in our weakness. So Gideon finally accepts his mission. He says, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. So let's go to verse 25 and we'll see what God wanted him to do. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bowl and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image, which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. So what Gideon is dealing with is the idea of risky obedience. That's the reality. To follow God, it's risky. It really is. If there's nothing, if there's no risk in your Christ following, you're probably not doing it right. If Christianity is all about comfort for you, if it's all about your get out of hell free card, and then just enjoying the blessings of the Lord, you're looking at one side of the coin, but you're missing out on the reality that following Christ should be risky. It's never supposed to be comfortable until we get to heaven. For now, it's about what can I do for the Lord in his kingdom instead of what can God do for my kingdom here? So Gideon, he's given this risky assignment. God says, I want you to go to your dad's house, and I want you to completely destroy all of your dad's idols. I want you to just smash them, just completely obliterate these idols. And back then, people were hardcore about their idols. Later on in Judges, I think 18, there's a man named Micah, and he has his idol stolen. These are just little statues, right? Little golden statues. But Micah gets so upset at this that he chases down with an army the men who stole his little golden statues. And he says, you've taken my gods. What more do I have left now? I have nothing left. So people were insane about these idols. Now imagine this, like just if you're having a hard time relating to like gold statues being smashed, 
Imagine this. Imagine someone in your school broke everyone's phones. How would you feel? Like, would you collectively hate that person probably for a while? Probably, yeah, you, like the whole school would be against that person. Imagine, how many of you guys drive? Any of you guys have cars? Nobody? A few people? So if somebody in school like keyed everyone's cars and like popped all the tires and smashed the windshield, like would you be pretty bummed and mad at that person? And if, that, if you went to that person, you're like, dude, what the heck? And he's like, God told me to. You'd be like, dude, you're dead. You wouldn't even listen. You wouldn't be like, oh, maybe there's a chance God really told him that. You'd just be like, no, you're so dead. So Gideon lives in this, this nation where people worship God, and now he's got a mission from God to go smash everyone's cars and iPhones, basically. And he's, he's fearful, so he does it at night. He does it at night. He sneaks off at night. But listen, he's still obedient. That's huge. Catch that. He's fearful, so he does it at night but he still obeys. Guys, um, go to the next slide here. There's a great quote. Ryan Duncan wrote an article on fear, and he says, obedience does not require us to be fearless. It only asks that we have the faith to follow God in difficult times. I think that's so killer. Obedience does not require us to be completely fearless. It just requires that we simply obey. You can go to the next slide. Corey Ten Boom. How many of you guys know Corey Ten Boom? Anybody? Dude, she's so gnarly. I will never be as hardcore as this old lady right here. Like, she, she could beat me up in a fight. Corey Ten Boom, she used to hide Jewish people from the Nazis during World War II in this little hole that she made in her wall. She was this woman who lived in a time where she never knew if she was going to live or die. She never knew if the Germans would come and beat down her door and rip her from her home, and that is actually what happened. Her and her sister got thrown in a concentration camp because they helped the Jewish people during World War II. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. That's so good. It's so good because the future is always unknown, but our God is always known, and he knows us, and he knows the future. So no matter how uncertain things look, we can trust him. Let's see now what the reaction was by his father when Gideon goes and smashes all these idols. Let's see what the men of the town and the village, what, how they react to this. Go to verse 28. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down. And the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. Therefore on that day he called him Jerob Baal, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he has torn down his altar. 
This is so hardcore. This is so rad. I know we're all tired here on Sunday morning, but just tap into how rad this is. So Gideon was given this mission by God, go and destroy these idols. And he is afraid. He goes at night. He does it. People find out though. So now Gideon is in hot water and the people come to his dad and they're like, your son messed up big time. He smashed our idols. He smashed our gods. Here's what's awesome about this. The reaction, Gideon thought that he would die because of this, but actually what happened is the truth ended up setting people free. So Gideon's dad, he's looking at this, and this is actually a huge offense. Back in those days, if you were to disrespect your parents, you could be stoned to death. So Gideon's dad, he's looking at Gideon, and he has every right to say, he smashed my stuff. He dishonored his father. He should be stoned. But you know what? Something snapped in Gideon's dad's head. He's looking at the smashed altar of Baal, and he's like, oh, yeah, if that was a real God, you probably wouldn't be able to smash it, <laughs> right? If that God was real, you wouldn't be able to come with a hammer and hit it. So he, he, like, he wakes up, and he's like, that's not a real God. And everyone comes to him, and they're like, he killed our God. He smashed our God. And he's like, yeah, like, that's not a God, guys. In fact, if anyone attacks Gideon, they should actually be put to death, not him. He's the one who's smashing all these fake gods. What do we need these fake gods for? Gideon was faithful, and he obeyed, and he spoke up, and he thought no one would listen. He thought it would have no impact. And yet what happens? People come to Yahweh. Hearts are changed. Guys, whether you are called to go and preach the gospel, whether you're called to share the good news with one of your friends or family members, whether you're called to speak up when your friends are in sin and you want to lead them back to the Lord, there's so many times in our life where we're called to stand up for what's right, but we're so afraid. We think these thoughts, the same thoughts I've thought. No one will receive this. No one is gonna get anything from this message. No one is going to accept what I'm saying. They're gonna turn against me. They're gonna hate me. This is just, I can't, I can't stand up for what's right because it's too hard. And yet God would say to us, be strong and courageous because I can use you even though you feel unusable. And if you fear death, know this, you have a bulletproof soul. Because here's the reality. Speaking out for the Lord can get you killed. Maybe not here in the States right now, but in other countries, you can absolutely lose your life for the gospel. But I have so much confidence as I follow Jesus and as I travel to different countries, sharing Jesus with people, and even in my own country, I have so much, I used to be afraid of dying. I'm not anymore because I know where I'm going. I have so much assurance in my heart And I know that if I go anywhere to tell people about Jesus, if God wants me to continue to live and preach the gospel, I will continue to live, no matter how dangerous the situation I go into. I also know that if I go into a dangerous situation and God realizes that my time is up and he wants me to be with him and I die, it doesn't matter because I have a home in the heavenly kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth. And so, honestly, living without that fear. Because even as a Christian, I used to be afraid. You know, death just seems so unknown. It's like, I've never died before, so I don't know what that feels like or what's that, what, that's, what that's like. But when you look at the scriptures and when you see the heart of God, that death is the final enemy that he defeats, that death is not the end, but life is the end. You can have so much confidence. So we need obedience because without obedience, we'll have no progress. How many of you guys rode rocking horses as kids? Anybody? Get on that little, my grandpa made me a little wooden rocking horse. Okay, so when you're on a rocking horse, rocking back and forth, are you moving? 
Yeah, you're moving, but are you going anywhere? No. Life without obedience to God is like being on a rocking horse because you're moving, you're doing things, you're socializing, you're doing athletics, you're doing school, you're going to college, you're doing all, you're moving, yeah, you're doing things, but you're not progressing. You're not heading towards the goal. You're not making any dent in the kingdom of heaven unless you live for the Lord. That does not mean, again, that you work at a church but it means no matter what you do, no matter what your job, no matter what school you go to, no matter what friend circle you're in, are you off the rocking horse and are you walking towards Christ? Maybe for you, the word God is giving you is obey. Maybe today God is saying to you, I told you to do something, stop doubting and just do it. Just do it. Not to quote Nike, but just Give in to me and do what I've called you to do because I will be with you and I will guide you and I'll give you strength. You are mighty because I am with you. You are a mighty man or woman of valor because I am with you. You are strong because I am with you. You are capable because I am with you. You are gifted because I have given you those gifts. Guys, God has gifted you to do every good and perfect work that he's called you to do. But obedience is hard. Obedience is hard. Um, Today, I want to challenge you guys to trade fear for faith. I want to challenge you to take your fear and trade it in for faith. But obedience absolutely is hard. Think about Abraham. God goes, this is in one of the first chapters of Genesis. God goes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm God. And Abraham's like, which God? And he's like, the God. And Abraham's like, oh, I worship like the sun and moon I thought there were lots of gods. And like, God's just like, nope, I am Yahweh. I am the one God. Like he's blowing Abraham's mind because a God has never talked to him before. So this is really intense. So God shows up and says, Abraham, I want you to move. And because he's hearing from God's voice, he's like, okay, I'll do it. Where? And God just says, go. Just go start walking in that direction. That's all he tells him. That's hard. That is hard hard obedience. There's nothing fun about that. Like when God comes to me and gives me a vision or a dream, like I want a roadmap. I want like to know exactly what I'm getting into. I don't want to have God say, hey, I want you to do this and I'll tell you the next step in 10 years. Like I don't want to deal with that. But a lot of times that's how God works and that's hard. Gideon is a questioner. He's always questioning. He's always saying, why? How? When? He's always asking these questions. And I don't fault him because I'm the same way. But obedience doesn't come easy. And obedience happens sometimes without the answers that we want. So here's what happens as we end the story. War breaks out and Gideon knows his calling. These enemies show up in the land and Gideon knows that he is called to defend Israel. He's called to be a judge. He's called to fight. But he doubts he doubts. He's like, I know God showed up. I know an angel appeared and lit this thing on fire, but I still doubt. Let's go to verse 36 and we'll see how that doubting plays out. Verse 36. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. 
When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. This is a weird story. How many of you guys have heard this story? Anybody? So like those of you guys who grew up in church, you've heard this story. I've always thought it was weird. That's how he decided to come before God. It was with this fleece thing. He said, God, I'm going to take this fleece. I'm going to put it on the ground. And in the morning, if the morning dew, you know, if you go out in the morning on the grass and it's wet, he's like, God, in the morning, if the ground is dry, but this fleece is just soaking wet, then I'll know that you're with me. And God comes through. God, he wakes up in the morning and the fleece is completely soaked and the ground is fine. And he's still not sure. He's like, well, I mean, it could have just been like a weird scientific thing. Like maybe there was this tiny rain cloud that formed directly above the fleece and like only rained on the fleece and nowhere else. Makes sense. So he says, God, I'm still not sure. I need another way. Go to the next verse, verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. So at this point, I'm wondering, like, is God just, like, rolling his eyes so hard right now? He's like, Gideon, come on. I'm showing you so many signs. What's going on? And Gideon's just like, I need another sign. Maybe this time the ground is completely wet, but the fleece is dry. Like, if I was God, I would be literally spraining my eyes from rolling them that hard. Like, that's what's happening. Like, Gideon's just giving these dumb requests to God, and God's just like, come on, Gideon. But no, that's not God's heart. God is patient. God looks at Gideon, and he, like, literally, if it were me, I would just pick someone else. I'd be like, Gideon, <laughs> like, you keep asking for this, these signs. You keep asking me for proof. I'm going to find someone who has way more faith than you, Gideon. If I were God, that's what I'd do. But you know what? God is committed to his plans, and God is committed to his people. He's committed to you, and he's committed to me. And if God wants to use you for something, he will continue to bug you about it until you do it. Yes, there are points where you harden your heart against God and then he does choose someone else for the mission. But it's so refreshing to me that no, that if it's fear or anxiety or guilt that keeps us in the way of trying to follow the Lord, he will not give up on us. He will continue to come to us and remind us. I'd like to share just a personal story with you guys as we get close to wrapping up here. So um, 2007, I was in Bible college and um, I was standing in the fellowship hall. It was a room like this, but it, we called it the garage. Um, it was a garage, but in England it was all, oh, you want to go to the garage? Oh, yeah, right, let's go to the garage. That's what we called it. Um, so we're in the garage, and I was talking to my friend Casey, and for some reason in the middle of this conversation, I'm like 17, about to turn 18, in the middle of this conversation, I feel like God speaks to me at 17 years old. And he says to me, Aaron, one day you're going to go to Ireland and do some missionary work. And I have no idea what that means. I'm just like, okay. And I was like, why did God tell me that? Is it because I'm talking to my friend Casey, who's like Irish, and he's like really short and kind of like a leprechaun? Like, I don't know if that's why God's telling me this. I had no idea. 
So I started like praying about it, and me and Brooklyn were not dating at the time. We were best friends, and we started talking about it. And, you know, Bible college gets over, and I come back to the States. I start dating Brooklyn, and we were talking about it, you know. And we're like, Ireland, that's really interesting. And, you know, one thing I said to Brooklyn before we uh, got married, uh, before I even proposed to her, but I was like, hey, if we ever got married, like, there's a chance that God might call us to be missionaries and we might have to live somewhere uh, where we don't have a lot of money and we have to live like in a really small little apartment and all this stuff. Like, are you okay with that? Like, cause I didn't really know like if I was going to be marrying someone who like had this big plan for her life and like wanted to have a ton of money and a bunch of stuff. And she was just like, no, like if that's what God wants us to do when the time comes, we'll do it. So I was like, sweet. So we started praying about it and I was just like thinking, all right, God, like what am I going to, when am I ever going to go to Ireland? And so a couple years pass, and our church does a missions trip to Ireland. Um, so I'm thinking, like, oh, I'm going to go, obviously. Well, I can't afford it, and Brooklyn can't get time off work. So the door closed, and I wasn't able to go on that missions trip. Back then, I was the graphics designer at the church. I was a volunteer in the youth ministry. So um, then I become the youth pastor, and more time goes by. And, you know, I started talking to some guys in Ireland. There was this guy named Pastor Mike in Calvary Chapel, Cork. Ireland. Um, I started talking to him and I was like, hey man, like I feel like one day I'm supposed to go to Ireland. I don't know when, but I feel like just God wants me to do something there. So I want to make a connection with you. So I started like helping him make websites and, you know, being his friend. And he actually, probably about uh, five years ago, he came down here and he offered me a job to go to Ireland. So I was like, God, is this what you want me to do? And I prayed and God said, no, I want you to stay here with the youth group. So I was like, okay, sweet. So I stayed here And I kept doing youth group stuff, which I have been doing. And a bunch of time went by, and I just, like, nothing happened with Ireland. So it got to the point where I was like, did I make that up? Like, it's been 10 years since I started praying about Ireland, and nothing really has happened besides I've talked to a guy from Ireland, like, on the phone occasionally, helped him with a website. I've never been to Ireland. Why would, like, that's weird to go somewhere you've never been. I don't know anything about Ireland. I've never researched Ireland. I don't have any documentary knowledge of it. I've never, like, I literally know nothing about this place. And it's been 10 years, and I haven't really even studied it or learned anything. So I, I was like, God, I need to know if you're talking to me or if I'm just making stuff up. And I started to doubt. I was like, God, I don't think that was you. I think I just came up with that. I think I was talking to Casey, and his last name is O'Keefe, and he looks, you know, he's, he looks Irish and everything. It was probably just that. So I started doing a prayer series with you guys, and I started praying, and I was like, God, I'm going to pray more than I do. I'm going to go on these prayer walks, and I was like, God, if you really want me to go to Ireland one day and do something there, I need you to speak to me and make it clear. So I started walking, and I was getting some exercise, and I saw this homeless man, and he was sitting over by Jack in the Box. It was this African-American man with a big afro and a green Guinness beer t-shirt, and I see this guy, and I walk over to him, and he's like, hey, man, come on over here. And I'm like, all right. And I go over, and I start talking to him. And he's like, hey, man, can you buy me a sandwich? And I was like, all right. So I buy him a sandwich, and I'm like, I'm going to pray with this guy. You know, I'm going to share the love of Jesus with him. And I'm talking to him, and I notice he has an accent. And I'm like, dude, where are you from? And he's like, ah, oh, I'm from Cork, Ireland, my boy. And I was like, what the? Like, I just prayed today that God would show me some kind of sign about Ireland. Like, that's really strange. He ended up being a Christian, and he ended up praying for me. Two days later, I'm like, that was weird, but God, like, I don't know if that was really you speaking, totally being Gideon. So then I see another homeless guy, and God says, go talk to that homeless guy. I was like, oh, okay, I'll go talk to him. So I see this next homeless guy, and I go up to him, and he's like, hey, man, can you buy me a bomb burrito? And I was like, I don't know what that is. But I went inside, and I found the bomb burrito, and I gave it to him. 
And uh, I come back out, and I'm like, hey, man, what's your name? And he's like, oh, don't worry about my name, brother. And I'm like, no, really, what's your name? And he goes, I'll tell you what they call me. I'm like, all right, <laughs> what do they call you? He goes, they call me the Irishman. I was like, what? What? So he pulls open his shirt, and he's got this tattoo of the map of Ireland on him. I was, I was just like, what? I was like, God is speaking to me through a man's skin right now. This is insane. So then I go home, and I'm talking to my wife, and I'm like, is God speaking? And we're kind of like, I don't know. Maybe it's just coincidence. Maybe, like, that one homeless guy was, like, a friend of the other homeless guy, and they both are really into Ireland or something. Like, it could just be coincidence, right? Totally doubting. So then I'm talking to the Lord, and I'm like, God, if you really want me to do missions work in Ireland one day, like, I just need more signs, you know, totally being Gideon, like, literally two random Irish homeless men is not enough. So I'm like, God, if somehow today someone mentions Ireland, you know, that'll be helpful, and then I'll know it's really you. So I go through the day, no one mentions Ireland. I'm like, all right, it's not the Lord. Ha <laughs> ha, I fooled the Lord, now I don't have to go. So then we're getting ready for bed, and my wife's like, let's t- watch TV. So we turn on TV, and the people on the show we're watching start talking about Ireland. And we're just like, what the heck? So this whole time I'd been talking to my dad, like for 10 years I'd been bringing it up. Like, God, like Dad, what if we went to Ireland one day and did missionary work, you know? I don't know, for a couple months or a year, or I, don't, I don't know. And every time I said it, he was always like, don't do it. It's a bad idea. He's like, I know a lot of missionaries, and a lot of them have a really hard time out in Europe. It's a struggle. It's really spiritually dark. You won't have your family there to support you. You'll have no money. It'll, like, <laughs> my dad's just being, like, super encouraging, you know? He's just like, don't do this. <laughs> so he was very against it. Well, then I went to him that week, and I told him that in that week, three, God had shown me three signs, and I told him those signs, and he was just like, okay. <laughs> He's like, obviously, God is speaking. Obviously, God is doing something. So... This is what he came up with. My dad prayed about it, and he was like, Aaron, we're going to send you in Brooklyn to Ireland for two months to check it out and to see what God is doing over there, to see um, what Calvary Vista could do over there for missions work. He's sending me on, like, this fact-finding mission. So I'm actually going to be going um, August and September after camp. I'll be gone those two months. And don't worry, the youth group will be in good hands. Uh, Leif will be here on Sundays, running things. Scott and Amanda will be running things on Wednesdays. Aaron and Jess for Z will be running all of our Friday night events. So things like, and they're gonna do a way better job than I do at Friday night events. Like Aaron's the hype man, so it's gonna be great. Uh, And then I'll come back after that. Um, But the goal is to go to Ireland and see like for the future one day, like what God might do through my family and through our church over in Ireland. So I'm really excited about that. But here's the thing. I'm still doubting. I still struggle. Just the other day, my dad called me, and he was like, Aaron, um, we need to talk about finances. When you're there in Ireland, you're going to have to pay rent on your house that you have right now in the States and rent in Ireland and a bunch of these other like travel expenses and things like that. So now I'm looking at my bank account, and I'm like, oh, shoot. I don't think I can actually do this. Um, so then I start praying, and I'm like, God, uh, I know you already gave me like five billion signs, but I'm feeling really doubtful. I don't know if I'm supposed to go anymore. Literally that day, I go to the grocery store to get toilet paper, and I walk out with just a bundle of toilet paper in my hand, and a homeless woman walks up to me, and she goes, hey, buddy, we got to get you over to Ireland. <laughs> and I was just like, 
I like nearly dropped the toilet paper and like ran away. I was just like, what the heck? What the heck? And I asked her why. And she was like, I don't know, red beard. And she like ran away. And I was like, oh, okay. Here's my point I'm trying to make. When God tells you to do something, you just got to do it. It's tough. It's risky. It's hard. But in my experience, he like won't leave you alone until you do it. And it's so much better to just have that assurance that he's with you and he's committed to his plans. He wants us to commit to him. Guys, God wants you to commit to him. Like the stuff I'm telling you is real. And it's not just because I'm a pastor. God wants to do these things in your life. He wants to call you to great things. He wants to give you visions and dreams. He wants to give you missions for your life. Every single one of you, no matter how spiritual you feel or how little spiritual you feel, God has a plan for you. No matter how gifted you feel, no matter how talented you feel, no matter how spiritual you feel, God wants you to be committed to him. And what does that mean to be committed? Well, obviously, it's to become Christ-like. It's to make him Lord. But listen, God's, living out God's will requires a lifetime of discipleship. God has a will and purpose for you. Have you guys ever heard of the general will of God? The general will of God, like when you ask, what is God's will for my life? The general will of God is that you would all follow Jesus, that you would all like read what Jesus says and do it. That's the general will of God for your life, that you would keep Jesus's commandments, that you would live like him, that you'd become more like him. For every single Christian, if you're ever wondering, what is God's will for my life? Like start there. That's God's general will. But what about specific will of God? Like for me, going to Ireland, that's God's specific will for me. What about you? What does God want you to do right now with your jobs, with your future colleges, with your career choices, with your relationships? God's general will won't answer that question. So then you've got to go to like asking God, like, what is your specific will for my life? There's a really good book called Destination Unknown, a guide to discovering God's will by a guy named Gordon S. Jackson. As we close today, I just want to read a few quotes from that book. Go to this next slide. So Gordon says this. If you're trying to figure out what God's will is for your life, first we must remember that God eagerly wants us to seek and live out the best he has for us. For some perverse reason, we sometimes think that God has this wonderful plan for our lives that he's reluctant to show us or that he somehow holds out of reach the good things he has for us. It's crucial, therefore, when thinking about God's will to affirm that he does indeed have only his best options lined up for us and that he wants us to discover and embrace those options and that with patience and discipline on our part, he'll make his preferred course plain to us. Guys, God has his best plans for you. Does that mean you're going to end up in a mansion with a billion cars and a PlayStation 7? That's not even out yet. I know. Like, does that mean that that's going to happen? No. God's best plan for you might be moving to Africa and living in a hut and giving medical aid to villagers and leading them to Christ. But God's best for you will always be the better than anything you could ever imagine for your life. And you will never be as fulfilled as you can be until you give in to what God's specific will is for your life. Go to the next slide. Isaiah 26.3 says this, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. As you keep your mind on Christ, as you meditate in him, like as you literally just open up your Bibles and read and spend time with the Lord, 
Or if you're not a reader, like put on an audio Bible, watch a YouTube video about Jesus, do something that connects you to the Lord. But as you do that, he will give you peace and he'll begin to reveal things to you that you'll miss if you're just living life focused on yourself. Go to the next quote. So he says this next. Gordon says this. Second, it's important to realize that God may give us far more choice and freedom in important decisions than we realize. For example, if we're agonizing over whether to aim for a career in accounting or architecture, uh, for each of which we seem gifted, it may be that God will tell you, I truly don't mind which direction you go. I can use you richly in either area you choose. As long as we seek to honor God in living out that choice, the actual direction may not matter to him. So I think that's very profound because there are times in my life where I felt like I had two choices. There was one time where I felt like I wanted to move to Maine or I wanted to stay here and be the youth pastor. It was right before I took the junior high pastor job. I really wanted to move to Maine and do ministry over there. And I, I, I went to the Lord and I'm like, what do you want me to do? And I felt like God was like, door A, door B, pick a door, I'll bless it. It wasn't like, if you go to Maine, I'm going to drop a fireball on you and destroy you. It wasn't like that. No, it was like, God was like, I'll bless either one. And I'm so glad I stayed because I love you guys so much. But I also know that if I would have gone to Maine, God would have blessed that too. And you guys would have been fine because you would have been given a different youth pastor. It would have been great. So sometimes in your life, it's not about like which door. It's just about follow the Lord. The Bible says in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Go to the next slide. Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. Guys, are you walking by the spirit today? Are you turning to Jesus on a regular basis and saying, Lord, lead me, guide me, direct me? The final quote is this. Gordon says this. Third, for the most part, guidance is far more ordinary and unspectacular for some Christians than we think. Yes, at times, God will show us burning bush clarity that what he seeks of us, he's saying like, you know how Moses was in the desert and this burning bush appeared and started talking to him. It's like, yeah, sometimes God will show you in dramatic ways, like homeless guys with their tattoos, but it seems he mostly prefers to deal with us through ordinary means. Usually he expects us to think through the issues we face without the aid of thunder and lightning or other dramatic signs. If we're waiting for him to show us something spectacular about whom we might marry or we, listen, if that's you, if you're trying to wait for God to show you some spectacular vision about who you might marry or what your job should be, you might end up waiting a long time. As someone once wrote, Faith accepts guidance, only unbelief demands a miracle. I think that's so key. And I look at that with Gideon's story, and I'm like, man, that's so me. My unbelief demanded this miracle. What grace that God gave it to me, that God was like, all right, Aaron, I'll throw you a bone. I'll show you a miracle. I'll put these weird homeless people in your path. But here's the thing. What this quote is saying is God wants to speak to us in the ordinary ways, just where you're sitting with him with your Bible open and you're reading and praying and you're talking to him, he just wants to speak to you through that way. And a lot of times the miracles come in because our faith is lacking and we need something big. I think that if I would have been praying more, honestly, I'm confessing my failure to you as a spiritual leader. If I would have been praying more about Ireland over the years, because I kind of gave up on it because it had been 10 years. So I just, I prayed about it maybe a couple times a year. It wasn't a regular thing. If I would have been constantly praying about it, I think God would have spoken to me and made me feel sure about it without having to run into the homeless people. Go to the next slide. I'll close with this verse. 
The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Proverbs 4, 18. Guys, if you are following Jesus, he is going to light your path. I want to encourage you guys today to let that light shine and lead you in your life. Don't be afraid. Don't hold back. If God tells you to do something, simply do it. But know this, if you struggle with doubt, if you struggle with discouragement like Gideon, he is faithful to work with you through it. He is committed to his plans and he's committed to using you for those plans. He's not gonna trash you and find someone else. He is faithful to help you wrestle through those doubts and discouragements because he has called you to a purpose. The question is, are you willing? Will you work together with him to fulfill those purposes? God, I just, I love these kids so much and I just thank you for these awesome students who love you. I just see so much good in them. I see hearts to follow Christ. I see desires to do great things. I also see doubts, discouragements, anxieties, fears, just like I had and have now. Lord, I pray for us that you would help us to cast those fears aside and follow with faith. Help us not to live in unbelief and demand some miracle, but help us to just be faithful to read and pray and spend time with you. I pray that in those simple, quiet moments, you would speak to us. And in those moments where we, we need more because we're doubting, God, we ask for those miracles. But we ask in a way, Lord, out of respect for you, not out of fear, not out of doubt. We just, Lord, sometimes we just need more because we're human. I pray for every student here. You'd help them to realize their calling. Help them to realize what specific time and place you've called them to in this world. Fill them, Lord, with courage, not to say, what can I do for the Lord when I'm 20, but to ask, what can I do for the Lord when I'm 14, 15, 16, 17, 18? What can I do for the Lord now? I pray that you'd fill everyone in this room who wants your spirit right now. Fill them with that spirit, God. Baptize them with your spirit so that they can go forth and do the work that you've called them to do. And I pray, God, just like you said, Jesus, that your disciples would do greater things than you did on this earth, God. I pray in the same way that, that there'd be people, people in this room who do greater things than I've ever done as a follower of Christ. That they'd lead more people to the Lord than I've ever led. That they would encourage more people than I've ever encouraged. I pray that leaders would rise up in this group that I can just sit back and look at and just be so proud of. I'm looking forward to those days, Lord, in the future of just seeing the great things that you do in their lives, but I also look forward to what you're doing in their lives today. Fill them with your spirit, Lord, and use them for your kingdom. In your name, amen.